awesome. And then we have a fall women's retreat coming up October 18th through the 20th. And we've already got like 95 women. Man. And it can only hold, they can only hold 125 up there. So if you want to come, which I would encourage you to, we have an awesome time. And Kathy Walters is going to be there speaking. And um, you just sign up in the foyer. There's a sign up in there. And the last, the deadline for registration is Sunday, September 2nd. So, thank you. I know why so many women are signing up. Because of last year. It's the one year anniversary of, gosh, when they spent the weekend on the floor just under the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, if any of you men are trying to sign up, it is only for women. So I'll try to sneak in there. <laughs> Andy will probably try to sneak up there, I'm sure. But uh, oh, man. <clears throat> well, everybody doing well? As Byron would say, everybody good? Are you guys okay out there? <laughs> if you're listening to this, Byron, just kidding. Give me a hard time. Um, amen. I just want to pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Totally relying on you. Say what you want to say. Do what you want to do here with us today. <clears throat> you are so good, Lord. Who? Yes, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh, you know, I just... You have to excuse me if I get a little overcome here this morning. I just... The Holy Spirit fell on me. I felt like on the way here. And uh, I'm trying to drive the car <laughs> with the kids in the back, you know. And um, I had this really, I felt like a really God type of conversation. You ever have those with friends or something where you're talking about the Lord and it's like, Holy Spirit just comes into the room. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, me and Addison and Eric were talking about this. Anyway, one thing that came up is just how Really how God, the gospel is simple or the Christian life is simple. It's just be with Him. <laughs> so my message is be with Him. That's the end. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm joking. But honestly, the Christian life is about just being with Him. We make it too complicated. With all these formulas of how you've got to do it this way, if you don't follow this mode, you're, you know, somehow the enemy's going to... You know what I mean? Just be with Him. <laughs> oh, just love Him. And you know, <clears throat> as you do that, then you, it's just natural you love other people. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> you can't help but love other people when you're with Him. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking, I think it was Peter, when he, after Jesus had gone away and sent the Holy Spirit, you know, he was this rough rough around the edges, fishermen. And Peter stood up and began to speak with authority. And, and I think the Bible says that, is that me? <laughs> the Lord's calling up here on the stage. <laughs> Hello? Alright. Anyway, <laughs> let me know what he says. Um... It says that the people recognized that he had been with Jesus. You know, and I don't know about you, 
But here's my heart. I really like for people just to, when they're around me, just say, man, that guy's been with Jesus. Especially those people that don't even know Jesus. Maybe don't even know about Jesus. But they're around. They're like, maybe Corey's checking them out at Target Cash Register. Or Terry, you're showing them a house. You don't even say anything about the Lord. But they're like, she's been with Jesus. I mean, they just know. You know, some in there, they might not say it. But something inside of them just knows. Are you with me? I just want to be with Him. That's what the Christian life is all about. And He takes care of the rest. You know, then as we're with Him, He teaches us how to love our, our wives or love our husbands or parent our children or be a faithful employee on our job or, you know, all these practical things. As we're with Him... He takes care of all the rest. Yeah, it's wonderful. We need the teaching of the Word and all these. I'm not, that's necessary. But at the same time, you know, you've heard a lot in this church about soaking, which if you're new, is just kind of like just resting in God, putting on some worship music or just being quiet. And I don't know about you. Has anybody actually practiced this? <laughs> it's blown, it really blows me away that as I quiet my mind, as I quiet my spirit and I just soak in the presence of God, all of a sudden I get it. There's information. It's weird almost. It's like, oh, that's what I'm talking about. That is being with Him. That is finding Him in the secret place. And as we do that, it literally can change the world. In my spirit, the Lord dropped this word about a week and a half ago and he said oh he said Matthew I'm calling the people out to be separate come unto me separate yourself unto me separate yourself unto me separate yourself River Life Fellowship unto me oh because you see that's what he's been begging people to do Ever since Adam in the garden, Adam, just come unto me. Separate yourself. Well, there's nobody else in the world to separate from, but, you know. You know, and then all through the Old Testament to his people, the Jews, the Israelites, separate yourself unto me. I'm calling you. I'm going to be your God if you will be my people. He's looking for people. Today, you know, and... I don't mean this in any way negatively on any stream or denomination, but sadly enough, a lot of the church, and at least in our nation today, is not so concerned with being separate or just being with Him. But somehow, church has become this system. You know, it's like this corporate America system. And if you do these things and if you follow this formula, they will come and... You'll have these crowds and, well, yes, that may all be well and good. But is He there? You know, is He there? Isn't that what matters? Because honestly, it may be discouraging that there's only a handful of people to you in this room, but I'm not worried about it. It's been the greatest lesson of pastoral leadership that I've, I've received from my spiritual father, Byron Wicker. 
the pastor of this church. I remember as a young buck coming in, all fired up about all these things we could do to get big crowds. And, you know, we were in youth ministry, and I had these visions of grandeur. You know, the, the coolest music, the cutting edge, this, uh, you know. And Byron was very interesting the way he handled that. He never criticized that. But when I would ask him questions along those lines, he'd go, well, I never really thought about that. I've really never been so concerned with how many people came. <laughs> I was like, what? Don't you want the church to grow? Don't you have a fruitful ministry? I just want to be with Him. I'll be just happy with 30, 40 people the rest of my life. <laughs> you know? And that was always very peculiar to me, but as I've watched, but I've realized, because it doesn't matter, the crowds, the people, the notoriety... It doesn't matter to him. He just wants to be with God. What an awesome example we have in Byron that we can follow that and just, oh Jesus, if we could just be with you. I just care about pleasing three people, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So come out and be separate. Before we get to the Word, I want to tell you a story that I came across recently from American history. You know, in the 1730s, the Holy Spirit visited this nation in an unprecedented way. Um, you may not know this, but in the 1730s, the colonial spiritual climate had grown cold. You know, alcoholism was at an all-time high. Um, the, the larger communities, cities, were really rampant with all kinds of, you know, just sin and stuff. And You know, of course, the Great Awakening, as we've all heard much about, happened in the 1730s and a whole generation humbled themselves and came under the incredible um, uh, uh, humbling repentant anointing I'm not using the right words here to the fiery preaching of Jonathan Edwards you know his famous sermon sinners in the hands of an angry God <laughs> have you ever thought about that message I mean that you know you wouldn't put that on your website today you know advertise this, uh, this Sunday, sinners in the hands of an angry God will be preached at River Life Fellowship. But, you know, this monotone preacher gets up there and preaches this powerful message and people just fall to the ground weeping and, you know, it just took off from there. But anyway, here's what I really want to point out to you. There was a boy born in 1733 to that generation. And I just imagine this boy grew up watching his mom and dad or his church around him in Virginia. Um, the church, the pulpit was aflame with fire. There was a Frenchman that came and visited the colonies. And uh, he's a real famous guy, but he's so famous his name's slipping my mind. Maybe somebody can help me. But anyway, he went back, he came here to visit because he wanted to find out what the secret of these colonists' success was with this new Alan towards the revolutionary era. And you know what he said when he went back? He said, you know, it's not in their great business schemes, I'm paraphrasing. It's not in their tremendous system of government, even though that is incredible. It's not this and it's not that. He said, but I found the secret when I visited their church and I saw the pulpit aflame with the fire of God. It was then what I, that I knew what the, the secret to the American colonist success was. Yes, the Alexis de Tocqueville. Thank you, Andy. 
that was our heritage, even from a foreigner's perspective. So anyway, back to this boy. This is the sort of atmosphere that he grows up in. At 23 years old, in 1755, this was pre-revolution, the British and the French had a war over control of this uh, the North, North America. You know, it's called the French and Indian War. And this young man, being a British subject that he was, um, was uh, became a captain, I believe, in the British Army. And one day, they were fighting a battle um, near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on the banks of a river. I forget the name of that river there. Yeah, what he said. And... uh and this young man, the, you know, the British Redcoats were standing out there in the middle, lined up in their rows, and the Indians and the French were scoffing at them for being such idiots because they had about 1,500 troops in this battle, and in a short time, the French and the Indians had killed 1,000 of them. So their numbers were dwindling rapidly. And all of the officers had been just picked off off their horses because they would just ride around. Easy targets. The uh, Indian braves were actually known to be quite good marksmen. But this 23-year-old young man had two horses shot out from under him, but they could not hit him. And he would just, one horse would fall and he'd grab another officer who'd already been killed. He'd grab his horse and keep going, rallying his troops would not, would not give up. And one brave's testimony was, I had 17 dead-aimed shots at this guy, and for some reason I could not hit him. Finally, the Indian chief who was in command over those Indians said, just stop shooting. This man is obviously under the protection of the Great Spirit. They literally stopped shooting at this guy. And it allowed this young captain to take his remaining troops and flee. And they were able to retreat with their lives. That night, as they were tending to the wounded and the dying from this horrendous bloody battle, this young captain noticed that there was a, a bullet hole in one of the sleeves. And he quickly rolled up his sleeve, almost frightened that he just didn't feel the pain. But much to his surprise, there wasn't even a mark on his arm. Well, he was taking his coat off. Noticed that there were three very definite bullet holes through his jacket. But there was not a hair of his body, not a hair of his head, not a piece of his skin that was even touched by one of those bullets. Of course, this young man's name was George Washington. And maybe you've heard this story before. Up until about 1930, this was a famous story in American history textbooks that as a teacher in public schools that I've been, I know that story no longer exists in America's textbooks. And you know why? Because could it be that the angelic visitation was around George Washington at 23 years old? You know, I was thinking about stories like this and I was thinking, 
Isn't it peculiar that even maybe some of us have a hard time with all this talk about angels and the supernatural and divine healing and, you know, going up and, you know, all of these uh, visions and dreams and isn't that a little too much? Aren't we going a little too far? But I want to propose this to you. This nation would not be in existence today without angelic protection and visitation without uh, dreams and visions. You understand what I'm saying? That same guy, in 1776, 21 years later, at 53 years of age, something like that, was the commanding general of our um, Continental Army. They were surrounded on Long Island, New York, with no place to go. They had 8,000 men. It was the bulk of this fledgling ragtag. Literally, guys, just remember, this is a David and Goliath situation. The great British Empire had us surrounded, nowhere to go. All hope was lost. One um, uh, officer under Washington came and reported, and this is what he said, we're surrounded. There's no place to go. Their navy is on this side in the water preparing to come down the East River and will definitely have no hope of getting away. And he turned to Washington and he said, obviously we can't surrender, but at the same time we can't retreat. And if we fight, we'll get slaughtered. General Washington, what do we do? And man, when I read what General Washington said to him, I mean, it just sent chills down my spine. Like Moses in the desert, he said, young man, God Almighty hasn't brought us this far to let us die now. Can you believe that? Why did he have the guts to say that? Because when he was 23, the bullets could not touch him because there were angels. Maybe he saw them. And he knew, man, God was faithful then and He's going to be faithful now. And it just brings tears to my eyes to think about this. So to make a very long story short, in their desperation, they were sitting there waiting literally for the bridge to attack. For some reason, that day came to an end and they still had an attack. The night went on. They still, had, still the next day they hadn't attacked. And so Washington said, here's what we're going to do. We've got some mariners here, some seamen with a bunch of rowboats. On cover of darkness, we're going to get 8,000 men, horses, cannons, all this. We're going to get in these rowboats. And it was a mile row across the East River. We're going to evacuate and we'll escape. Well, that seemed impossible. It's kind of like Joshua, you know, marching around the walls of Jericho. It's like, yeah, okay, we're going to march and then the walls are going to fall down. Good one. No. It had to have been impossible because how could they possibly not hear 8,000 men and you know, horses splashing around right there in the water? But a miracle happened. A fog settled in. History records that it was a type of fog that you could not see another man within six yards in front of you. How many people have driven in fog like that? You know what kind of fog that is? So, because the night was over and they were scared because they still had at least another hour worth of retreat to get away. And to their surprise, 
with the sun coming up, usually the fog dissipates. The fog stayed. And it wasn't until the very last couple of boats were almost to the other side of the river. The fog lifted. The British saw them off in the distance, but they were out of cannon shot. They couldn't reach them. And they showed up to their encampment and they were like, where did they go? We need to remember this. Because the secular humanist record of history tells us that from Columbus to the days of Washington and Jefferson, our history is nothing more than a bunch of white folks with genocide in their mind that came here to decimate the native population, to enslave the African population, and to, um, to dominate this piece of real estate for themselves and to this day to oppress any other people that would try to rise up against the white man. Now, I'm not standing here to argue today that there have not been atrocities committed because there certainly have against the Native Americans. Slavery was an injustice that goes beyond, you know, that's, I don't even need to say that. But my point to you is this. Please, when you consider history, read the Bible first. What do I mean by that? Well, if you read the history books of the first five books of the Old Testament, you can see that there were many atrocities committed. You know, like, for example, Joseph sold into slavery by his own family. Those were the Jews, by the way. You know, you get my point here. Yes, there have been atrocities committed, but that doesn't delegitimize the call that God has on our lives as a people. Amen? That doesn't mean we're anything special. In fact, I believe that God has a plan for every nation that's founded on the planet. So we would be amiss to say that we're anything special. But at the same time, God has shed His grace on us. we got time for one more quick story. This absolutely blew my mind. Harriet Beecher Stowe. Anybody familiar with Harriet Beecher Stowe? Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote a famous, probably the most famous uh, novel in American history called Uncle Tom's Cabin. 1851, Harriet Beecher Stowe was a free black woman with a husband and six children in Maine. Get this, one Sunday, Harriet's at church about to receive communion. One minute, she's about to take the communion bread and wine. And the next minute, she said she was taken up into the heavenly realm in a vision. Okay? She was transported in this vision to the south and she saw a black slave being whipped and beaten to death on a southern plantation because he would not renounce his allegiance to his master, Jesus Christ. One minute she saw the details. She later told her husband, if you could have just seen how the light was coming through the trees and the smells and all, just everything involved, it was, it was incredible. Then she was back into her body the next moment, right there in church taking communion. After that service, she went home and quickly recorded. She said it was like God overtook her pen. She was a writer of nonfiction. That was one of her God-given talents. But she began to record this story. 
Long story short, she goes on to interview former slaves and slaves themselves and slaveholders to write this work of nonfiction based on a true story. In 1851, over 300,000 copies were sold in the first week. When Abraham, President Lincoln met this woman finally, he said, oh, so you're the little lady that started this great war. That's how effective her life became. She was insignificant. She was just a free black woman in the North in 1851. How did she become significant? Because she had a heavenly experience. She had a vision. Here's what I want to say to you today. I believe that if we will hear the call of the Father to separate ourselves unto Him and say amen to what He wants to do in the supernatural realm, that we too are on the verge of not just the greatest revival in the history of mankind, but as Eric Starr said last night, the greatest reformation in the history of the world. You see, a reformation doesn't just change the church. It changes all of society. It is a new beginning point. From this day, the world changed and it started in a whole other direction. I believe God wants to bring a reformation in the church. I believe personally the Lord's spoken to me. That's my, part of my destiny. My original ancestor, I've mentioned this before, was a pastor in the Protestant Reformation. I believe I'm born for reform, for reformation. And I believe we all are because that is our generation. Just like George Washington's parents were born in a generation of the greatest revival that the colonies had ever experienced thus far. We are that generation in our day. Bill Johnson said in his message on Wednesday that every generation has the responsibility to pull every promise that is contained in this book into their reality now. There is no excuse. It's for now. If it's in here, it's for now. Yes, there may be a later fulfillment of that prophecy yet to come, but there's also a now fulfillment. We must claim that. I want to read one scripture here. And we'll close with this scripture. And it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's kind of an interesting scripture to apply to this application, but if you'll hang with me. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. Paul says to the Corinthian church, Guys, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial is just another name referring to Satan. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Okay, get this, verse 16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Let me ask you a question. Who is the temple of God? I am the temple of God, Matthew. We are the temple of God as a church. Those are the two applications for the temple. And he says, and he follows, for we are the temple of the living God. And God has said, this is a great promise. It never goes away. I will live with them 
and I will, walk, I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. I don't want to skip over that too quickly. How many people would like for God to live with me, live with you in your home? He says, I'll walk with you. What comes to your mind when you think of walking with God? I think of, garden, of, of the garden. I think of Adam. In the cool of the day, it says he walked with God. There was no separation of sin yet. There was nothing holding, nothing between him and the Almighty Creator of the universe. They could sit down together and he could say, Hey, Daddy, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, son. How you doing? Well, I'm doing great, Daddy. Now, tell me, how did, uh, how did you make this lion here? Oh, well, that's easy. You know, I just put a whisker in here. and Another great American, George Washington Carver. He said, if you love something enough, it will reveal its secrets to you. Isn't that incredible? He knew, he knew what only, well, not only, but what Adam knew. He knew that there was a revelation about his father, God, in nature that was just waiting there to be discovered. If you are here on Wednesday night, you know how Bill was talking about how God, He doesn't hide stuff from us so we can't find it. He hides stuff from us like Easter eggs on Easter morning with your kids so that you can find it and He can take joy in it. See, George Washington Carver was a great educator of former slaves at Tuskegee Institute, but here's what I find interesting about him. He didn't let his students bring a book into the laboratory. No books. <laughs> what educator would tell their students no books, you know? He said no books. Because what you need to know is very accessible. We call it downloads from heaven. Found 400 uses for this little legume called the peanut. Isn't that amazing? You see, those secrets are waiting for us both in the natural and the supernatural. And I love what Bill was saying also about how the traffic pro pattern problems in our community, God has an answer for those things. You know? The problem, the great inventions that are yet to be discovered, the cures for cancer, God knows what the cure for cancer is. Only there is the source. It cannot be found in a book more than likely. You know, how do you get that information? Soaking. What is soaking, Matthew? Well, go back to what I've already said. Being with Him. Just be with Him. It's the secret to life. It's the answer to what you're looking for. You guys know that I'm preaching to the choir. Let me finish here. In verse 17, Paul quotes uh, Leviticus, I believe. He says, God said... Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Be with me. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons. You'll be my daughter, says the Lord Almighty. <laughs> Since we have these promises, dear friends, Paul says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. He said many times as Christians, we see this as a hard scripture. We see this as a legalism almost. 
Well, you just got to purify yourself, brother, if you want to see God. That's what the Bible says. No, you see, it's a father. He's pleading with a son. He's pleading with the daughter. Oh, if you, if you just, you know, like your little toddler, if you just won't touch that fire that looks so cool, you won't get burned. Just don't do that. That's what he's saying to us. And what I wanted to tell you is, on the way here this morning, um, I just became so overwhelmed with emotion driving here because I remember what the Lord dropped in my spirit about this thing is come out and be separate. But in addition to that, I felt like he said, I'm releasing a grace for holiness right now. I'm releasing a favor to come away and be with me right now. I'm releasing the ability to live a pure life right now. Because where that passage that Paul quotes becomes legalistic is when you take on your humanistic mindset, man at center, and you say, oh, I can do that. Oh, no, you can't. (laughs) And if you've ever tried for more than two weeks, you know you can't. So stop trying. You see, whenever Paul said something like that, you have to go back to his foundational teaching of the book of Galatians. What is the book of Galatians? It's the grace revelation. You have to understand that Paul is saying, through Christ, because through Christ's sacrifice, you now have the power to live a holy life. And the reason that I believe this is so important, church, is because if we're going to receive these incredible revelations and then know what to do with that and make application to that in our world today, we must have the holiness of God residing in our lives. Because it is true. You will not see God without holiness. But you cannot receive holiness without God doing it in you. You understand what I'm saying? The problem is our humanistic mindsets have wanted so hard to do it and do it and do it. But God says, no, just do this. You know, oh, yes, Lord. Hmm. Oh. Oh, man. I know what to do about my rebellious son, for example, now. I mean, the Lord just showed me. (laughs) George Washington Carver said many times he would go to sleep at night with this question about something he was trying to figure out. And more often than not, when he awoke in the morning, he had the answer. (laughs) Do you think he had some dreams and visions? Our heritage is the supernatural. That's what I'm trying to tell you from American history. That's from the past. Our heritage today is Reformation. Let's stand together. By the way, before we pray, I don't want to forget this. We've got kind of a different schedule. If you want to stick around, Jim Hill is going to be speaking in the second service. So I'm I'm sorry you didn't have any prior advance notice of that, but you're welcome to hang around if you're able. But, um... uh, You know the wonderful thing about God? You can just go up whenever you want to. <laughs> you can just go up. Andy was saying, I just realized 
Whenever you are tempted to worry or fear or doubt, trying to balance the checkbook, that is a signal to go up. It's an invitation to go up, right? That, right at that moment, you have an opportunity to go up. That's what being seated with heavenly places means. It's just, oh God, I give you my budget. <laughs> You're my provider. I laugh at the devil. <laughs> He's not going to do this to me again. You know what I'm saying? So right now, I just feel like for some reason I'm supposed to put my hands on you. So if you want just about this holy life thing, and hey, I'm not saying that because I'm anything special. I'm right here in this boat with you. But I just feel strongly the Holy Spirit is here now to release the grace. You know, honestly, folks, um, it's not just the sin that I'm talking about. You know, whatever occupies your Time, your your thoughts, your affections—that is the very thing that can hinder you from seeing God. For me, it could be Carolina Panthers football or Tar Heels basketball. Because you know, I told you this before. I just want to check the stats. Uh, oh, where are we? Where? And the Lord says, "You know what, Matthew? If that's what's most important in your life, you need to cut that off." Oh, Lord, yes. But see, if I do it myself, it's legalism. But if, I, if Daddy just comes to me and goes, Oh, but I've got so much more for you, son. Oh yeah, Dad, here I come, but I don't care about the Panthers. You understand what I'm saying? Whatever it is for you, in your heart, I just want you to give it to God today. Let Him take you through the process. It may not be an instantaneous thing, it may be. But let Him take you through the moment or the process of working out that thing in your life. Amen? Thank you, Lord. So I'm just going to go down the road here. And just, amen, Lord. You just impart the grace of your holiness into AJ right now. Thank you, Lord. Just impart your holiness right now into your daughter. You're well pleased with her, Daddy. Thank you, Lord. Release your power, your power for a holy life, God. That she might see God. Open her eyes, Lord. Open her eyes to see the spiritual realm right now, oh God. Thank you, Lord. The dreams that are burning in her heart, God, they will be fulfilled. Release the grace for a holy life right now, God. For a sanctified life, Lord. Yes, God. Release that grace to Brian, Lord. Burn it into his heart. Burn your word onto his heart, like it says in Ezekiel, that he might find delight in following your decrees. Thank you, Lord. Your grace, God. Your grace, just come on, Heather, God. Your grace. Your grace. Your grace. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. In her weakness, you are made strong. Oh, yeah, you're going up, girl. You're going up. Midst of it all, He is your peace. Thank you, Lord, for Lord when God. I grace, release your grace. Release your grace, God, for holy living. Open our eyes and clear the wind the supernatural, Lord. Oh, yeah, I just release that evangelistic anointing on Terry right now, Lord. 
fire burn. Fire burn. Beckon her, but pursue her, God. city 